And uh, he has a word for us today. Um, he's been with us. His presence has been here. That shouldn't surprise us, you know. Scripture says that he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. That's why when you praise him in the car, uh, the atmosphere changes. That's why when you're about your day and you begin to worship the God of Israel, his presence enters that space and things change. So let's just have a word of prayer. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua, Mishikenu. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, God of Yeshua, our Messiah. Lord, we love you. Our hearts are full and desirous for more of who you are. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would change us, prepare us, Lord, for this, Lord, season of Moedim. Father, that you would prepare our hearts and our lives that, Lord, in this year ahead, that we would truly, Lord, have a fruitful and blessed and sweet year in you. And we ask it, B'Shem Yeshua. Today's message is a continuation of last week's message, and it's discovering the six meanings of Elul. The high holidays are upon us, and I trust that your hearts are filled with anticipation and expectation of meeting with God in a special way. Friends, it's not an accident. These are divine appointments. These are set times that God gives to meet with us in a special way. We should never get into the habit of treating them ordinary because they're far from ordinary. And do you know that God always works according to our faith, right? So when we are expectant, God meets us. But On the flip side of that, if we don't come expectantly in faith, you know, we could miss out on something special. Don't you know it's a special time? It's a special season. Like I said earlier, this is the end of the Shemitah year, right? And we've heard a lot about that. Books have been written, so on and so forth. But it's the beginning of a Jubilee year. Okay? It's the beginning of a Jubilee year. And it only comes once every 49 years. So um, it's a special, special time, certainly. Unless you live to be really, really old, you're not going to see another one, okay? Um, So um, it's a special time. And our hearts should be expecting God to do something wonderful in our lives and in the world. This is the last Shabbat of Elul. And Elul is called the month of repentance, the month of mercy, and the month of forgiveness. God, who is rich in mercy, even after the greatest sins in Israel's history, the golden calf and the sin of the unbelief of the spies, looks to pour out mercy and forgiveness in order to see his people flourish and walk in the fullness of his promises. Could you believe that? In spite of our grossest sins, God is looking to pour out forgiveness and mercy. Baruch Hashem. As we heard from Rabbi Carroll last week, and aren't you glad for that? I mean, who among us is perfect? Who among us is worth truly, think about it, who among us is truly worthy of what God offers us? Boy, do we need his mercy and his forgiveness 
and his grace. Rabbi Carroll last week um, told us, and we begin to look at Elul, and in tradition, um, there's an acronym for Elul um, in six passages of scripture, and the first one being Shir HaShirim, and that's chapter 6 and 3, and we know this well, like Rabbi Carroll said, many of us have it on our wedding bands, Anila Dodi Vedodili. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. And, you know, at the Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed in that word, in that phrase, spells out Elul. And there's five other places where that happens. And again, this is what would be considered sowed interpretation, right? Remember from uh, Pardes, there's the Peshat, the plain meaning of the text, there's the Remez, right? There's the Drash, and then there's the sowed. It's hidden. It has to be searched out, right? That God doesn't make it overly obvious, but if we search out a matter, we'll find it to be true. And so these five verses... Um, in the month of Elul that speak to what Elul is to us. And so Rabbi Carroll covered the first three, and I'm going to cover the last three. So let's look at the fourth place where we see this acronym um, for Elul found. And as you can see, um, we have the um, uh, letters circled there. Shemot chapter 21 and verse 13 tells us, and this again acronym is found again, tells us that Elul is about the mercy of God. In Shemot 21, 13, we learn that Elul becomes a refuge, a refuge in time, creating space for spiritual preparation for Rosh Hashanah, and the days of awe leading to Yom Kippur. Liyodo v'samti l'cha. That's in verse 13, and I'll start from verse 12, and it says, whoever attacks a person and causes his death must be put to death. Verse 13, if it was not premeditated but an act of God, then I will designate for you a place to which he can flee. This verse comes from the passage in Exodus which speaks of the cities of refuge. I always marvel how God thought of everything. Don't you? God thinks of everything because he is a good God. So Elul now is associated with this particular passage of Scripture. And it becomes a place of refuge. City of refuge, a refuge, right? For sinners. In Elul, we are invited to take advantage of created refuge, refuge in time and space. So think with me for a moment. The natural tendency when someone causes someone else harm, even if it's unintentional, might be um, to flee from the situation. Right? We see it often, people hit someone in a car by accident. Okay, but they're so overwhelmed and fearful, right, of the consequence perhaps it would cause them that they just flee away. 
And for us as God's people, sometimes when we do wrong, we flee from this situation and we even pull back from God himself. The sense of overwhelming sorrow and remorse one might have for unintentionally causing someone's death in this case might lead someone um, to feel unworthy of God, not able to enter his presence any longer, not worthy of his forgiveness. Could you see that? And this could potentially lead someone down a path of self-destruction because we start to, people would start to, and do, this happens all the time, start to say, oh God, I'm unworthy. How could I do something so, so vile as that? God, uh, there must be something wrong with me. God, perhaps there's, there's just, I'm beyond your hope and your grace. Perhaps I'm just a bad seed. And that person, because they feel they're outside of the redemptive purposes of God, could go totally the other direction and begin to do even greater evils against God. They could start to believe that they are intrinsically bad people. How many times do the people of God render a verdict upon themselves and deem themselves unworthy of God? Don't raise your hand, but I know you're here. Unworthy of his forgiveness, unworthy of his mercy and grace, which in the end alienates us from the benefits of his presence. Elul, from this verse, is a refuge in time, a place where we could see that God has created a refuge for us, even for the worst of sinners, because he's a God of mercy. See, God, to some, is just waiting to pounce, waiting to bring judgment. Do you know, I believe in the judgment of God. And I've heard everything you've heard about this year. But I have to tell you, the one overwhelming feeling I get is that, sure, this world is bad and deserving of judgment, right? But God so loved this world that he gave his Messiah so that the world, these bad seeds and people and the evils could be redeemed because God is a God of redemption, There is a day coming when he will ultimately judge the world. But until then, he hasn't changed as the God who redeems those who are lost. Listen to Micah 5, I mean, chapter 7 and verse 18. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Yaakov and show mercy to Avraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers, 
in days long ago. That's who God is. Friends, we are deserving of judgment. God could come down and visit our lives today and probably pick us apart if that's who he was, but he sent his mercy and his grace upon us through the Messiah of Israel. And do you know what? God doesn't see our foibles and mistakes and unrighteousness because we are the righteousness of God in the Messiah. Isn't that something? You know what? (laughs) No one has to tell me who I am. Just like, you know what? I mean, I don't think there's anyone in this room who, who knows God who thinks that they're all that. I mean, come on. We live in a real world, and we are real flesh and blood, and we're not always the most, for the lack of a better word, saintly folks. Try to be. We're doing our best. But at the end of the day, we trip up, not just once, but time and time and time again. But our righteousness isn't based on our performance. It's based on the sacrifice of the Messiah and his sinless atonement and his sinless blood that makes us righteous in God's sight. Now, it doesn't give us a license to continue to sin. We do our best, but we're righteous because of what he's done. That is the mercy of God. According to rabbinic tradition, there are 13 aspects of God's mercy. I want you to listen to them. Because um, it really speaks to who God is versus who people say he is and often who we think he is toward us. And the first one is God is merciful before a person sins. Even though he is aware that future evil lies dormant within him. Isn't that something? In other words, he knows who you are. He knows what you're capable of. And he's merciful anyway. God is merciful after the sinner has gone astray. God, L, a name that denotes power as ruler over nature and humankind, indicating that God's mercy sometimes surpasses even the degree indicated by his name. He's great in mercy. Compassion. God is filled with loving sympathy for human frailty and does not put people in situations of extreme temptation and eases the punishment of the guilty. That's something. Right? That God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. Gracious. God shows mercy even to those who do not deserve it, consoling the afflicted and raising up the oppressed. Come on, isn't that that should be huge? Some people are always walking around, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Yeah, you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. Not worthy. Who's worthy? We're not worthy. God decided for those who would believe, they would find his compassion 
and his mercy. He's slow to anger. He gives the sinner ample time to reflect, to improve, and to repent. You see, those who think that God is just waiting, eager. Think of the concept of an eager God waiting and desirous to bring judgment. That might be a pagan God, but that's not the God of Israel. Slow to anger, abounding in love and grace is our God. Abundant in kindness, Varav Chesed, God is kind toward those who lack personal merits, providing more gifts and blessings than they deserve. Ever feel that? If one's personal behavior is evenly balanced between virtue and sin, God keeps tips the scales of justice toward good. What does that mean? That God looks at the good in us. He corrects us. We've all been corrected. But you know what? Often, we as people look in the mirror and all we see in ourselves is the bad. But God sees the good. Could you imagine Yeshua? He's walking around with his 12 Talmudim. One of them is Judas. Do you see anywhere in the Besorot that Yeshua treats Judas in a, in a bad way? Where he's nasty to him. I mean, he knows who he is. He knows what he's going to do. And he doesn't speak to him despairingly at all. He loves him. He sees the good in him. Even though he knows. He knows. You know what? Could you imagine what our lives would be like? Two things happened. If we looked in the mirror every day and saw the good in ourselves. And if we left our homes and interacted with people around us and saw the good in them too. (laughs) Wow. The world would be a different place. The world would certainly be a different place. God's mercy is seen in truth. God never reneges on his word to renew those who serve him. He doesn't renege. You know what? I'm going to be teaching in a few weeks at a Who's Your Neighbor special conference with the assemblies, with pastors and leaders. I'm going to be talking about the Jeremiah 31 covenant. That God made a covenant with Israel, with Judah and Israel, with the whole house of Israel. And it's so awesome when we see that because people, believers, church folk, think that God is done with Jewish people. But as I will point out, as you read that covenant promise from God, all we need to do is step outside today and look at the sun and the moon at night and the stars in the sky and the scripture says that as long as the moon 
and the sun and the stars come out every day, my covenant with Israel will not cease. He doesn't renege. He sticks with us. And how much more as Messianic Jews that God sticks with us? Can you think of times in your life where you thought, man, I've done it now. (laughs) Man, have I done it now. God is not flaky. He's not wishy-washy. He's not hot and cold. Some days he really likes you when you're doing good. And some days he says, you know, you're not quite worth my time. No, he never reneges on what he promises us. He is a God of truth. He is the preserver of kindness for thousands of generations. God remembers the deeds of the righteous for the benefit of their less virtuous generations of offsprings. In other words, right, doesn't it say he he visits the sins of the father to the third and fourth, but to the righteous to a thousand. Isn't that awesome? What does that tell you about God? Who he is? He is looking to reward righteousness, right? He's looking to reward righteousness because he's a God, what, of judgment? A God who's harsh, a God who's mean, a God who wants to keep us alienated from him. He wants us blotted out of the Sefer HaChai. He doesn't want us to enter the gates of righteousness. He doesn't want us to be the benefactors of his mercy and his grace. No. The exact opposite. Because he's a God of mercy. That's what Elul speaks of to us. Guess what? If I start thinking of God in these terms, I can't wait for Rosh Hashanah. Because God is indeed good. He is the forgiver, forgiver of iniquity. No say of own. God forgives intentional sin resulting from an evil disposition as long as the sinner repents. Isn't that something? How do we know this? Are there examples of this? Yeah. David. David saw Bathsheba. He wanted Bathsheba. Even if he had intentionally prearranged the death of Bathsheba's husband. And so he commits adultery and has a murderous heart. But the second the prophet confronted David, David's heart said, broke, and he repented before God. God forgives intentional sin. He's the forgiver of willful sin, Pasha. God allows even those who commit a sin with the malicious intent of rebelling against and angering him, the opportunity to repent. He's the forgiver of error. God forgives a sin committed out of carelessness, thoughtfulness, thoughtlessness, I should say, or apathy. He's a God who cleanses. God is merciful. He's gracious and forgiving, wiping away the sins of those who truly repent. God takes away our sin and washes them whiter than snow. Though our sins, right, be as scarlet, I will make them whiter than snow. 
I wonder how many of us think of our lives in terms of past sin. We think of others in terms of past sin. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? He's not looking at past sin. He washes it clean. We as believers know the ultimate expression of God's mercy toward mankind is in Yeshua, right? For while we were still helpless at the right time, the Messiah died on behalf of ungodly people. Now it is rare, a rare event when someone gives up his life even for the sake of somebody righteous, although possibly for a truly good person one might have the courage to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that the Messiah died on our behalf while we were still sinners. And the scripture says in other places, not only were we sinners, we were at enmity toward God. We were at odds with God. The mercy of God. As we come to the high holy days, friends, I want to just say this and I'll move on. Be prepared to receive God's mercy and be prepared to be merciful. The fifth place the acronym for Elul is found is in Vayikra chapter 12 and 8. And here we find the concept of total devotion to God. Kulo la Hashem. All for God. That's what it literally means. Kulo la Hashem. All for God. And it's Vayikra 12.8 and it's one for a burnt offering and one for a sin offering. Now, the verse, one for a burnt offering, olah, that's the Hebrew word, and the one for a sin offering, chatat, offering, occurs three times in Torah, but, but with variations in the order of the offering. The order, a sin offering, chatat, and burnt offering occurs twice in Leviticus 7 and number 6. And the order, one for an olah offering and one for a chatat, occurs only once in Vayikra 12.8. Now, do we think that's just happenstance? Or do we believe God ordered every word? I believe God, you know, ordered every word. Naturally, the question arises as to why the ordering. Olah Chatat, which appears in Leviticus 12, is chosen to be the one inferred in Elul. The answer perhaps lies in the unique character and role of the month of Elul in the religious and spiritual psyche of Israel and the God of Israel. The Hebrew word olah means elevation. And olah is an offering from below to above. Right? We come and we offer up to God elevation. We elevate Offering to him. Um, Chatat, on the other hand, is a drawing down. And the offerer receives atonement from God, so it comes from heaven to earth. So, um, the psalmist in Psalm 68 says, While the Chatat recalls the words of the psalmist, who says, My sin is before me always. 
the olah, korban, or the burnt offering, as described in Torah, is a free offering, no strings attached. It's a pure gift to God. It's one that the worshiper wants to bring. And it's symbolic of the worshipers, because we know the burnt offering is totally consumed, right? That it's a symbolic of total dedication and devotion and consecration unto God. I don't know what you think, but during the worship, God was saying, go now, he wants a heart, friends. And he doesn't want some of our heart. He doesn't want our hearts two days a week or 90% of the time or three times a day. He wants our heart fully and completely. Totally devoted. Right? He's searching the earth, looking for hearts that are totally devoted. If you're a human being, you might struggle with that. That's what keeps you from his fullness. The unwillingness to surrender fully. Thinking that you're hanging on to something that's too good to let go of. Can I tell you? There is nothing on this earth that you could ever hold on to. Not a child, not a friend, not a position, not a title, nothing that will ever give you the satisfaction that God wants you to have through total devotion to him. Hear me out. There's many in this room, there's many in the kingdom of God that come every week, multiple times a week, have daily devotion, but struggle surrendering fully to God. Oh, they give them 90% and 95%, but there's a part of their heart that they are unwilling to yield. And we look good, friends. Don't get me wrong. 95% compared to what the world's doing, we could look awesome. We could look like model citizens in the kingdom of God. We could look just like uber, committed believers. But the only problem with it, God knows. God knows. We can't trick them or fool them. We can't scrunch up our faces God. God. Busted. He's not fooled by anything we could do or say or think. God's looking for totally committed people. That's what Elul's about. Not half-hearted devotion, not religious devotion, but wholehearted devotion to God. So what is derived from this verse and how does it pertain to Elul? Remember, Elul is the month of preparation, a month of repentance. What kind of person even has a desire to repent, but someone who has a heart after God, a heart that is totally devoted to God, one that is sold out to his calling and to his purpose in one's life? Who would even want to repent? Unless it's someone who's sold out to God.
wholeheartedly is a story, is a key word in life. The absence of this word in life, and life is certain to take different turns. A couple stand before a rabbi, a congregation, and God, and declare their wholehearted commitment to each other. But after several days, weeks, months, days, or even years, what was declared wholehearted commitment fizzles. The commitment was not wholehearted after all. It was half-hearted or weak-hearted or cowardly-hearted or fair-weather-hearted, anything but wholehearted. A person stands before the congregation and declares their wholehearted love to Yeshua as Messiah and Lord, but within a matter of weeks or months or perhaps even years, they're nowhere to be found worshiping the Savior. There was no commitment of the whole heart. There may have been an emotional outburst or a purging of guilt or a feel-good experience or moment. But wholehearted commitments are lifetime commitments. God, when he says that he loves you, he loves you for life. God is wholehearted toward us. Spouses, we should be wholehearted toward each other. How that applies to repentance and ties into the high holy days, if we approach repentance in anything less than a wholehearted way, we infect the decision which will bring out commitment of repentance and at the end we run the risk of running back to the sin that we supposedly repent of. Friend, you know that. It's not unlike folks that give up a habit when it's not wholehearted So you give up the smoke. But if it's not wholehearted, and it's half-hearted, it could even be 90%. You have that weak moment after the meal, special day, stressed out, whatever, that you say, oh, maybe just this one time. And it comes right back. I'm going to just leave this section with this one verse from Scripture. So easy. Devarim 8 and 13. This is what it says. You must, say must, be wholehearted with Adonai your God. Selah. You know, the old statement, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. If we're not wholehearted toward God, we'll always be close. 
but never enter in under the chuppah. We'll be around it. Say, man, it's awesome. Man, it looks like fun in there. It's exciting to be around it. But it's not the same as entering in under. Wholehearted devotion gets us from being right at the precipice and pushes us through. Friend, all I can say is this, oh, with all my heart, don't let anything, anyone in this world, in this life, any temptation, any desire you might have, any, anything. Listen, family, children, position, money, anything. Be the excuse why you don't wholeheartedly enter into a relationship with God. Friend, at the end of the day, you know what? I love my kids to death. At the end of the day, though, I'm going to stand before God, not with them, alone. Period. Panim al panim, him and me. And what could I tell him? What could I possibly tell him? I love them more. First of all, I can't even love him right if I don't love God more. That's the truth. I can't love my kids right if I don't love God more. Let's move on to the third one. So that one was a little tougher, wasn't it? The mercy of God was easy. (laughs) Wholehearted devotion. It's easy too. And then the third place we see this acronym and the final meaning of it all is um, redemption. Geulah. I will sing Lahashem Vayomru Lemor Ashira to the Lord. And they said, saying, I will sing Shemot 15 and 1. We sang it today. And they sing. The song of Moses, the servant of God. It's the song of Moses from Exodus 15. Do you know the song of Moses is a song of redemption? It's a song of victory in God. The sages of the Talmud explain the verses used of the future tense in an allusion to the future, to resurrection. Rabbi Meir said, whence do we know resurrection, or how do we know resurrection is stated in the Torah from the verse, then shall Moses and the children of Israel sing this song unto the Lord. That's why we sing it today, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. They sing the song of Moses. It's interesting to note, however, we can see clearly from the context of Shemot 15, redemption, right? Redemption is the point of the whole high holy day season. It was the point of the exodus from Mitzrayim. It's the point and purpose of God since the fall of man. Everything he's done is designed with that sole purpose in view. 
He has no other purpose in view. From Bereshit, chapter 3, right through the book of Revelation or to the end of the world, his vision is solely fixed on one thing, redemption. From redemption of mankind, from redemption of his Jewish people, from redemption of the nations, to the redemption of earth itself, to kun olam, the redemption of all things. God is in the redeeming business. What is redemption really? You ever think of that? Because we probably only think about it in terms of what we have experienced. But what is redemption really? Think of things you and I would normally toss away and discard, deem unfit for use, worthless. Perhaps we kick those things to the curb, literally whether it be furniture or a broken electronic or perhaps an old computer, we kick it to the curb. And to our surprise, a few short hours later, we go to take out the trash and we notice the pile of junk, worthless, unusable stuff that I threw there is gone. It's gone. I'm amazed. That thing, that rag that I had at the curb, someone drove by and put on the brakes and picked it up and took it home. Doesn't that always blow you away? Hmm. That's redemption. Someone saw something useful in what we called useless. They took it home and they fixed it and they spruced it up and they put a fresh coat of paint on it. And they sanded it down and tightened the screw, fixed the wire, pressed the button, and bingo! Ralph told me a story like that just this week when we were working around here. He said he found someone was throwing away a blower, right? And he said it doesn't work. And Ralph, being the fixer-upper that he is, you know, you clean out the carburetor, you clean the floats, the dee da da but you drain out the old gas, put in a new, spruce it up, a little WD, get all the schmutz out of it. Working. That is what God does to the human being. That's who he is. What we deem is worthless and useless and, and unrepairable. And beyond grace, God sees and says, man, look at this one. Woo! Let's get that thing right up in the truck. Gabriel, pick that one up. We're going to get that one back to the shop. And man, I could see that thing. Woo! Fitted, looking good. That's who God is. He redeems us. He reclaims us from our broken and unrepaired condition. From our condition before the Moedim to a restored and renewed state after we repent. You see, there's no doubt those discarded items need some tweaking. 
But that's all it is. There's some good bones there. Aren't you glad? I mean, really. How, how do we, how could you feel miserable any given day and walk into a sanctuary or walk into your private devotions and worship God? This is how. Aren't you glad that God sees value in who you are? He sees value in you. He looks at you and says, man, I really love that piece. Man, that's a good piece. Man, that's a good one. We're going to put that one. I want to put that one right here. That's, I just really like that one. When you understand that, it's easy to worship. Aren't you glad that just because you are in some disrepair, he doesn't kick you to the curb? But he looks to fix and restore you in order that you would be functional and useful again. I'm glad. Hey. Sometimes I even say, God, you know, I wouldn't be upset, God, if you kick me to the curb yourself. You know how when you're in those states where you don't feel like you're getting it right. But you know what? Even if you kicked yourself to the curb, which would be hard to do, God would just pick you up again. Though a righteous man falls seven times, the Lord lifts him up. See, sometimes we kick ourselves to the curb, but God says, nah, you're too valuable. There's too much good stuff there. The bones are good. So I'm going to pick you back up, get you in the back of the truck, get you back to Gabriel's workshop, and polish you up again. That's the God we serve, and that's the God that we must keep in mind as the holy days approach, that God's desired result for us, for you, for me, is to make us whole, and to restore and refresh, not to tear down and destroy. He is called Adonai Goelenu, God, our Redeemer. Okay, that is his goal. But Rabbi, I'm broken. I get it. Who's not, really? I get it. But Rabbi, you should see my life. There's some things that are... I get it. That's why the second point of wholehearted devotion, when you understand the only thing God is looking to do is to make us better. Not to take from us. Not to deprive us. But to make us better. You know what? I, like you, Right? Have those stones that pop up in your heart. You know? It's like, and you gotta say, God, get the stones out. Pop them out. Heart of flesh. Yeshiyahu 44 22 says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. 
your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have returned to you. Isn't that something? God's redemption always leads us to a joyous expression of praise as seen in the Song of Moses. They were excited. They were excited. Could you imagine the joy of being redeemed from 400 years of cruel bondage? I bet you that would have been a worship service to hit the DVD in heaven. That had to be awesome. How much more in our lives should we be filled with the joy and love of God for his redeeming power that's working in us? Friends, we have a lot to be grateful for. A lot. Friends, there's a lot of praise in this room because God's done a lot of things. So as we approach this high holiday season starting tomorrow night, remember three things. God is a God of mercy. God is looking for our total devotion and that God is our Redeemer through the Messiah. Wow, three awesome things that God is for us. No matter what is going on in the world, in life, around us, those things remain true. It's true. And here's the key. You don't even have to feel like it's true. It's just true. Right? You don't have to feel like it's true. Because whether you feel like it or not, it's true. That's an awesome thing. The God that we serve, it says that he's beyond measure. We can't even measure out the goodness and grace and mercy of God. You know, we're in a unique position, a messianic synagogue. Jewish people who believe Yeshua is the Mashiach. Lots of Jewish people don't. But to every one of them, God is their Redeemer. God is a God of mercy toward them. And God's looking for their devotion to him. And what do we do? We model it in our life. These six things, we model them in our life. And people will be thirsty for those things too. Trust me. They'll be thirsty. So, with that said, we're done here. But I want to give you an opportunity because I really feel that if we were honest with ourselves, friends, this is a holiday weekend. Don't rush out to, you know, I, I get it. We want to eat and get on with our day and all this stuff. But just give God a few minutes of your time. And if you're broken, hurting, if 
you think that you're beyond repair or, man, I'm just all messed up and I don't seem to get it right. I want you to, to come and get prayer because the God who you think is rendering judgment on you is really just looking to help you, to restore you, to pour his mercy out on your life, to see you and help you get over the little hump in the roads of life. He's not looking to condemn you. He's not looking to, to judge you. He's looking to help you. And so I'm going to ask, you know, Myrna to come. And I'm going to be available as well. And we're going to be here if you want prayer. That, and Gary to come. Sorry, I was just looking. That if you just sit in your seat for a minute and talk to the Lord. And Anthony, if you could put, just put a little soft music on, that'd be great. Um. You know, I don't want you to live your life. What a miserable way to live our life as believers, thinking that, man, I just never get it right. I never measure up. I always fall short. You know, crummy things are always... God's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God of restoration. He's a God who repairs the breach. If you come to him. And I'll tell you this. Sometimes those repairs don't take overnight. They take some time. But if you're committed to stay, he's committed to fix. It's just the way it is. Do you know what? I still got some things that he's working on now. 25 years later. Oh man, he's just taking out the wrench. He's torquing it down, you know? We got some. That's all right. That's okay. I mean, sure, I wish it would be done already. But God's still working, and he's still working on mostly everybody. So if he's still working in you, don't be too hard on yourself. So if you want prayer, if you have an area that, and you just can't get over the hump, if you're just miserable, friend, there should never be a miserable believer, ever. Yeah, you could go through miserable things, but you should never be miserable. Because God in the midst of our misery is a refuge and strength. That's who he is. He is a strong tower to run into and be safe from the storm. Friend, yes, storms and misery could be around us, surround us, attack us, but we should live in the refuge of God. It's not for you to get caught up in the circumstance. It's you to, be get, to get caught up in God in the midst of circumstance. Do you hear me? And in God, I know this firsthand, you will always find a refuge. You'll always find his strength. You'll always find his grace. You'll always find joy that is unexplainable given your current situation. You'll always find it because you'll always find him. And that's who he is. That's what he does. Amen. So if you need prayer today, just come up and uh, we'll pray for you. Simple. Pray that you would get over and overcome whatever's going on in your life. And perhaps you're here and you need total commitment, total devotion. 
Please don't leave the room. Don't leave this congregation today till you hash it out with God. See, God, I'm going to stay here until this stone is removed, till the obstacle goes. Because I'm going to give my heart fully, totally, 100% to you. Because I know that is the best place for it to be, for everything in my life to go right. Every relationship will be better. Everything you have that he gives you, you will enjoy more. Every relationship will be sweeter. Everything will get better when you learn to surrender it all. So if you need prayer in any of those things, or if you just want to sit in your seat for a few minutes, that's fine. Yes, let's, let's do that. Take a few minutes and talk to the Lord.